All right. So, uh, and then again, just to repeat, uh, every second Sunday, is that right? No, every first Sunday of the month uh, from here on out, October, November, December, Al will come in and continue his, his series on Ephesians 1, which is how, actually, it's a twofold thing. It's to prepare you to be sons of God or children of God in the coming season. It's going to be amazing stuff. Really amazing times ahead of us. And he's also at the same time literally clothing the bride. Speaking these things to us is clothing the bride to be what she should be, free and powerful. So it's a good word. All right. Um, one of the things that he said, uh, and he used this scripture actually, uh, was that you don't have to go there, but in Hebrews 12 it talks about that God's going to show back up at the end. He says, and once more I will shake heaven and earth. Once more indicating that there was a previous shaking that took place. And we're going to get into that a little bit. But one more time, God says, I will shake not only heaven, but heaven and earth. Or not only earth, heaven and earth. Anyway, so he's going to do it. And to show that the things which can be shaken will be shaken. Things that cannot be shaken will survive that process. The kingdom of God is that which cannot be shaken. Now, I know that all of us Christians, God begins working in us the kingdom of God. It's in us. Behold, as Jesus said, the kingdom of God is within you. So he plants the seed of the Lord in us. It begins to grow. That seed will grow into the kingdom of God, the mountain of the Lord. And so there are portions in me that cannot be shaken. Now, they will be tested. You know, don't kid yourself. When God begins to test, you'll know it. And uh, and even the things that are from him, you wonder, can I survive this? And you'll find that they, that's the thing that does survive. It's the things that he has put in you. Now, if you've been around long enough, you have figured out by now that there's a lot of things in you that he didn't put there. Agreed? A lot of them you put there. How's that working out for you? Not worth it. So those are the things that can be shaken. And that was the question last week. Can you be shaken? And what I kind of shared with last week was, you know, the the prophetic intercessory word from this church, that God's fixed to shake it. There's going to be a test coming. He's going to shake you in every area in a way that you never thought possible. And, you know, for us, it's the relationships, the finances, and health. What is he going to shake? He's going to find where you have fear. The whole issue with God is to prepare his bride for his son. And where you have fear, you're not yet made perfect in love. The Bible says perfect love casts out fear because fear has torment. He's not coming to look for a bride who's afraid of everything. She's going to be bold and strong like he is. And so he's going to find things in you that you have fear in and he's going to shake it. You'll have to look at it, go back to it, and then he'll set you free by a work of the Spirit, and it'll be awesome and very, very hard. Very, 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 very hard, okay? That time is coming. In fact, if you just step back and just kind of look at our world around us right now, it's already started. Have you? I mean, some of you guys... Most of you guys have been around long enough to, to answer this question. Have you ever seen anything in our country like what you see right now? Honestly. I'm not trying to be a doomsayer or anything like that. But this is ridiculous. And maybe it's because the social media gets it all out there. or you know, I don't care. You, know, you can point to a lot of, to me, are symptomatic reasons for what's going on. What really is going on is, is the, the world is, is becoming full of iniquity. And so he's going to come at it. And God created this earth. The Bible says the world is the Lord's. Everything that's in it is his. And so you think he's just going to give up on it? No. He's going to come back and claim what is his own. And so the question was, is can you be shaken? Well, yeah, the answer is yes, you can. In the areas of your, of your uh, fear, you can be shaken, but he's shaken that to get rid of it. The areas that he's already done to you, it can be tested, but it will stand. Jesus put it this way, when you build your house upon the rock, the storms of life will come, but that, that thing will stand. If you build your house upon the sand, the same storms of life will come, and that thing will fall. 
So it's the same process reveals what's in you. Some of it will be good and some of it will need to be shaken out of there. We're coming into that time. Now, look over in Isaiah chapter 2. We used this last time. This is an Old Testament version of what is going to happen when God said in Hebrews 12 that he's going to shake everything again because we're receiving a kingdom. All the prophets all through the whole Bible speak to that time, the the time of the second shaking, which we're entering into, the time of the second shaking. Now, Isaiah, this is a section of Isaiah uh, of about three or four chapters that that is uh, what we call, um, uh, well, end time stuff, eschatologically, I can't say that word, but uh, it speaks to the end time. Okay, so it's um, like the book of Revelation in that sense. It speaks to the end time, things of end, of end times. In chapter 2 of Isaiah, verse 19, it talks about people during that time. Verse 19 says, They shall go into the holes of the rocks and into the caves of the earth from the terror of the Lord or the fear that comes on, upon the earth from God. So they're They're running. Right? They're trying to hide from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty when he arises to shake the earth mightily. So look at, there's a few things going on here that kind of come together. One of them is the fear or terror of the Lord. And that comes because he's rising and his glory is going to be just completely seen. And he's doing all that to shake the earth. So those three things, fear, glory, shake. They come together. Keep reading. In that day, a man will cast away his idols of silver and his idols of gold. That sounds like the cowboys and uh, hmm, who's got gold? Oh, Andrew's Mustangs. Um, <laughs> that was a low blow, wasn't it? Okay. I used to have a friend just back in the days when the cowboys were actually good. They won all the time with Tom Landry and, and the anointed one, Roger Staubach. And... Uh, this guy, this guy, he really ticked me off. He's called the Cowboys the Idols of Israel. Well, Israel doesn't like the Dallas Cowboys, but every Christian in Texas does. Maybe he had a point. Maybe. So they're idols, which they made, each for himself to worship, to the, to the moles and the bats, to go into the clefts of the rocks, and into the crags of the rugged rocks from the terror of the Lord and the glory of his majesty when he arises to shake the earth mightily. Okay, so in that time, that shaking, those things which we perceive to be good, you know, and God says, no, that's an idol, you're going to be throwing those things away. This is actually quoted, in a sense, in the book of Revelation. Turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 6. This, there's a, a series of things that goes on in the book of Revelations. Trumpets, seals, vials, they all kind of like they repeat the same story, uh, just a different view of it. And here's one of them. When you get to the sixth and seventh ver- uh, seals or trumpets or whatever, you're right at the end of things. And so here we are on the sixth seal of Revelation 6, verse 12, the sixth seal. Now we saw in Isaiah what happens when the earth is shaken. Everybody runs to the rocks and the cliffs, right, to get away from it when the earth is shaken. But Hebrews said, I'm going to shake not just earth, but heaven too. Both of them are going to get shaken. This part will show you what's happening when the, when the heavens part of it is being shaken. It all happens simultaneously. But verse 12. I looked and when he opened the sixth seal and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun. Because here's, here's what's going on in the, in the heavens. The sun became black as sackcloth of hair. And the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth. As a fig tree fall, uh, drops its late figs when it's shaken by a mighty wind. Shaken. So what's being shaken there? Heavenly things. Things in heaven. Verse 14. Then the, the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. So it's shaking the earth. And the kings of the earth... The great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave, every free man. This sounds like Isaiah. They hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. 
and said to the mountains and rocks, Follow us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is coming. Who's able to stand? So it's the same thing, right? It's what Isaiah saw. They're all running and trying to find a place where they can hide. And from the terror of the Lord, when he arises to shake the earth in his glory. Big time's coming. All right, so we said that he said he's going to do this again. So there was a, another time when he did this. So let's go to the other time. It's in Exodus 33. Now, we're kind of jumping over the actual shaking portion of this, but Exodus 33 is when the Jews came out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea. God did all these amazing miracles to get them out of Egypt. Crossed the Red Sea, which is amazing in itself. Takes them to the mountain called Sinai and offered them a covenant. Offered them the chance to walk with God. To be his people, not just his people, but his special people. And to be his, uh, uh, literally a kingdom of, of priests for him. So he, he offered them a deal. And he told Moses, go offer them this deal. And they, and they said, yes, we'll take that deal. And so Moses brings back their answer to God at Mount Sinai. And the whole mountain begins to shake. Smoke comes down. God comes down. And the whole thing shakes. And everybody's freaking out. And Moses says, man, this is freaking me out too. Everyone's afraid. The terror of the Lord. Shaking the earth. And, and Moses is told by God, you come up here. How'd you like to be Moses at that moment? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Let me get my moped up here. Right, right on up there. So he goes up and God gives him the Ten Commandments. Y'all remember the movie. And what happens? While he's gone, they make a golden calf. And he comes back, breaks the thing, you know, and so they blew it. The first time the whole earth is shaking, God offers a covenant, they blow it. Sound like us. They just can't stand success. And so because of that, we see this amazing thing take place. And, and I want to say this to you again. I've said it before. Your failures are almost the avenue of success. They really are. Your failures become the door of success. There's, this is one of those great paradoxes in the Bible. You see it again and again, especially in the New Testament. Paul saw this, and, he, and he's beginning to preach it. And you go, wow. When sin abounds, does that mean we're, we're just out of here? According to Paul, when sin abounds, grace does much more abound. So the fact that sin is increasing isn't the worst thing we ever heard. No, actually it can be good things because at the same time, grace is increasing. And then he asks this, the paradoxical question. So, should we sin so that grace can abound? Now, in West Texas, we think, well, sure. Yeah, that's a good deal. No, he said, no, 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 no. You know, get a right heart about this thing. God is showing you that your failure can be the doorway into more God if you believe it and do the right things. Okay? Yeah. So it's really actually an interesting time. And so we see it, I guess, for the first time, really, here in Exodus 33. They have blown it. And instead of God saying, I'm done with you guys, it actually... Sets the stage for something that you should think about when you fail. Instead of getting all down and going, I'm just going to hell. Why don't you just be like our Vegas people here and double down on your bet and go to God? How about that? Instead of running away, run two and double down. What do you got to lose? So you, when times like that, when it's really, really messy, are the most amazing times with God I have found. When I've messed up the worst is when I found the love of God the most. I don't understand that, but I do receive that. And by faith, I have now learned, go there. Go there the way I am, just as I am, without one plea. You remember that old song? 
So you go there. And that's what Moses did. He took the opportunity to raise the bet. He doubled down because they had blown it. And then, I love this scripture. I just love this scripture. And the shaking is going on. So let's just keep reading here. Exodus 33, verse 15. Moses says to God, if your presence does not go with us into the promised land, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except that you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. He's referring back to the original offer that God had made. You're going to be different. You'll be special to me. So the Lord said to Moses, okay, I'm going to do this thing also. That you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And he says, and here's where he doubles down. Not good enough, God, that you're just going to go with us. Let's up it. Let's, let's up the bet. Verse 18. Show me your glory. He upped the bet because no one had ever seen this before. Isn't that crazy? I mean, who would think of that? In the, in the moment of your greatest failure, you ask for something that's never been done before. Isn't that cool? I love this attitude. This is the attitude I want to be in me and I hope in you as well. Please show me your glory. So that's beyond what had been done up until now. Verse 19. Then he said, I will. I will make all my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, but you cannot see my face. For no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, here is a place by me. And you shall stand on the rock. And so it shall be that while my glory passes by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So it's just amazing. He asked for something that had never been done. And God said yes. On the heels of the greatest failure that they had ever seen. Isn't that crazy? It's amazing. That's how good this is. It's amazing grace. Well, he asked to see the glory. And so God said, yeah, I'm going to show you my glory. Jump down to chapter 34 all the way down to verse 5. Now, what we're going to show you here is how God views his glory and the purpose of his glory. You know, what does it mean? Is it like a, a movie or a, a light on the wall? or What is the glory? Here's how God defines his glory. Verse 5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. That's the glory. Because, see, the name of the Lord, a name means who he is. It's about who God really is, his character, the way he acts, the way he relates to us. That is his glory. It's his essence. Okay? So it's not a thing that you look at. It's him. The essence of all of him. So the first thing he does is proclaims that. This is my name. This is who I am. Now you're seeing my glory. And then he continues with this. Let's just read this. What does his name mean? Verse 6. Here's the name of the Lord. And I can also say it this way. Here is the glory of God right here. Verse 6 and 7. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed. The Lord, the Lord, gracious, I mean merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercies for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So Moses made made haste and bowed his head toward the earth, and he worshipped. He saw the glory of God. He just described it. It's what he does. Now, I want to take you through some of these, these words that God said he is, which reflects the glory of God. They're, they're, they're very cool. They're in verse 6 and 7. Look, midway through verse 6, the Lord, the Lord God. First word is he's merciful. This, so when you want to see the glory of God, you're going to see this aspect at play. Merciful. That is a Hebrew word for it means the womb, like a mother's womb. Rakam. So it is that natural feeling or bond between a parent and a child 
That's primarily like a woman and their child, but it's also a man. Because Father said he has this as well. He gives even men a portion of this. He gives women more. But it's that intense bond. And it, it shows itself in uh, compassion toward this, toward us, and even pity. And you can't, you can't kick it. Compassion and pity. You guys know. I mean, you've all seen the uh, shows about, you know, when someone, some knucklehead like Les here, uh, does something wrong, we're going to take him to court, and, you know, you did this, you did that, you did the other. And they say, and they're going to give witnesses that, oh, he would never do that. And so who do they call? His mama. Oh, my baby would never do anything wrong. I know his heart. And he's always been a good child. Don't worry about these things over here, but he's always been a good child. And what do we do? That's just his mother. Bring me another witness. Right? You can always count on the mom to tell the best of the story. Right? That is the mercy of God. Rakam. You can't kick it. And we need that, by the way. We really need that. I need someone for me like that. And to think that God is that person? Holy moly. That's pretty good stuff. Rakam. The next one, he says, he is gracious. <clears throat> that's the word that we have for grace. It means favor. It means the kind of response that's from your heart. That when you see someone who has a need. And kindness comes out of you. And you just want to touch them and help them. Just kindness, because you see their need. He is long-suffering. Hmm. I kind of see that going on with a lot of people right now. It means to hold back your anger and give the person time to repent. I've been sort of seeing a lot of long-suffering lately, or maybe an attempt at long-suffering. In other words, I see anger boiling in people. Do you? You been dealing with anger lately? That's a good thing. You're learning what it's like to be long-suffering. You take your anger, which is legit. There's a reason for people to be angry people. It's usually legit. And instead of letting that rule you, you subdue it on behalf of that person that you're angry at. And give them time to repent. Long-suffering. He is good. He has goodness. That's in uh, abounding in verse 6. Abounding. In goodness and truth, they put these two together. Goodness is this word kased. It means loyal love. He's abounding in love that is loyal. I mean, he, he, he will always be there. He will always be there with love. And truth. Now, it's interesting. This word truth <coughs> literally means faithful. That's one of the best attributes of God. That God is faithful. You know, I've lived a long time now. But the one thing that I can take with me, and it holds me in hard times, is I have a record now. I can look back years, even decades, and see that throughout all the times of life, some of them have been good. A lot of them have not been so dadgum good. But in all of them, I can tell you, God has never left me. Never left me. He's never forsaken me. And sometimes I deserve forsaken. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I wouldn't stand in line because I was a good boy. I would stand in line and get a busted because I wasn't so good. And there he was to love on me. I mean, well, how do you explain that? Well, right here you explain it. Goodness and truth. Faithfully loving me even when I really don't deserve it. And I know it. I know it. That's how. That's the glory of God. And he keeps mercy. He guards it. He guards mercy. He doesn't let things slip in to stop mercy from having its way in situations that ask for mercy. He guards that. And then he's forgiving. You know, if I took a, if I tried to get a New Testament version of what we just read. And what we just read is the glory of God. If I had to take one scripture in the New Testament that describes the same thing, it's 1 Corinthians 13. Love is. You just look at what love is and compare it side by side with this, 
And you'll find they're really close. Love is all these things. And that's how God is towards you. As a matter of fact, all these things describe the glory of God. And the glory of God describes how he relates to people. It's how he relates to us. Now, I want to take a minute here on the forgiveness. Because this is kind of an issue, I believe. Forgiveness. He forgives three things. Iniquity, transgressions, and sin. They're not the same. They're not the same. If I could describe those three in a picture, I would describe them like that tree back there. It's not real, but we're going to declare that it's real. A tree. Iniquity is the seed. Transgression is the branches. Sin is the fruit. Okay? So he's going at every level of life, and he's applying forgiveness to that, to iniquity. Now, let's just kind of explode it a little bit. Iniquity, the seed, the very thing that starts it all with us, means to distort things. Distortions. And so you become lawless. Now, my wife tells me all the time, that's me. She may have something there. All I'm asking for is forgiveness, mercy, and all these other things. Lawless. I'm just trying to meet him at the stop sign. Amen. You deviate from the way that we're called to walk because you have a lack of the fear of God. There's no fear. No fear. Now, I used to run every stop sign I could find until I found out that cops give you expensive tickets for such things. So what stops me? Fear. Right? Fear. Now, when we started this, I said there are three things to watch for. Fear is the first one. That's what caused everyone to react, the fear that was coming down. And with a lack of fear, you will stay with your iniquity. You'll walk in your distortions, and you'll miss the way that God's called you to walk. It's in you. You were born with the seed of iniquity in you already. You realize that. When we fell from the Garden of Eden, David said, I was born in iniquity, shaped in sin. In other words, that's the flesh. That's the part that's not from God. That's the part, get this, folks, that can be shaken. All right? From that seed comes transgression. Transgression, I mean, if, if iniquity is distortion, transgression is that which reveals the distortion, shows that it's there. It reveals distortion and, and iniquity. And it literally becomes a place of rebellion. I don't have to do what you tell me or what any authority tells me. And so this rebellion fractures my relationship with the authority that's there. So transgressions fractures my relationship with God. It fractures my relationship with my parents. It fractures my relationship with my church. It breaks it. It can fracture a relationship with your spouse. Truth. Transgressions. Well, no man's going to tell me what to do. Hello, fracture. Hello, transgression. Because that's where that comes from. It breaks what God's put in place. And it causes you to hide what you're doing. It causes you to walk in deceit. Give you the, the right to think that you can be independent. And people like that, you just cannot correct. Because they won't receive it. No one's telling me what to do. Any transgressors are among us. That's what comes out of that seed. <laughs> you know. And you will find your fractures if you just look around. And, of course, the third thing, the fruit of it all is the sin. 
It's the fruit of iniquity. You miss the mark that's been laid out for you, and it begins to really show up as you try to approach God. Because he is completely light. Uh, you know, everything's right with him. And when you walk in there with this, all this seed and branch and then the fruit of it, it begins to be revealed. And you can't stand there. Isaiah saw it. When God invited him in, Isaiah 6, what did he see? The glory of the Lord. Right? The glory of the Lord. And he says, I am undone. Woe is me. And the whole thing was shaken. I'm undone. Because I am this man. Unclean. And he says, so he took coals from the altar and touched it. He says, this has purged your sin. And so then he could go and be uh, used by God as a, as a vessel of the Lord. So you, you see, you know, as a clo- the closer you get to him, the more you see, wow. I can't stay here and be just my own boss. I cannot do it my own way when I want to. He is my Lord. Amen? But the good news is with all that, and we all have all that, his reaction to all of that jazz is forgiveness. That's just amazing to me. It's almost, I don't see how he can do it. With a human being, it literally is impossible, I think. I think it takes the, the, the work of God in us to do the, forget, the forgiveness part. Now, <clears throat> I want to take you to a few scriptures that show how this plays out in us. How does God literally deal with, with this iniquity and transgression and sin that's in us? Look at Psalms 103. This is what he showed Moses when Moses asked to see his glory was that. And I think it is just pretty daggone glorious. Isaiah, I mean, Psalm 103. Verse 6. And I can start in verse 1. It all talks about this, but we'll just pick up a little bit of it. Verse 6. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses. Did he not? We just read it. He made known his ways to Moses. His acts to the children of Israel. And, and then it describes exactly the same thing that we just read in, in, in Exodus. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, that's long-suffering, abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. He's not done it. Now here's some of these wonderful little descriptions of how God forgives the, the fullness of what that means to us. Something we can grab a hold of, maybe. You see in verse 11, For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. Now, what's the condition? Those who fear him. If you don't fear him, this ain't for you. But if you do, hit. His mercy toward us is so high, it's, ab- it's amazingly above anything that I could ever mess up. And the, the next one, verse 12. These, I'm sure you've heard these things before. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Now think about that. What is a transgression? It's a fracture, like a bone being broken. Now, I want you to understand some of the the pictures that are being played here. When he said he's going to deal with your transgressions, he didn't say as far as the north is from the south, did he? That would indicate to me a higher and a lower deal. With God, all the things that he said to Moses about his glory has to do with his relationship with us. Do you realize how much he wants to have a relationship with you? And so when he describes that, he says, you're fractured, my, the relationship here. I'm going to take that problem as far as the east is from the west. So it's kind of like the same level. It ain't like this. It's like this. So I'm coming down to your level 
walking in it with you, where you are, not playing high and mighty with you. No, I'm being with you. You go through the fire, I'm with you. You go through the water, I'm with you. I will never leave you. I'm not going up there and hoping you get there. I'm coming down here where you are in the midst of your trouble. And you're messing it up. I'm coming down here with you. And I'm going to remove that stuff as far as the east is from the west. He really is intent on fixing us and our relationship. He's a good God. What can you say about that? And the reason he does it, as 13, as a father pities his children. That's that word I used a while ago, the womb. The feeling of the womb. We're his children. That's why he does it. He loves us. He pities us. So the Lord pities those who, what? Fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. So that's another good thought, by the way. You know, God, God's not like us. And if he turned on the jets completely, we would be consumed in a second. You get around him, I mean, the intensity of God. And I'm talking about the intensity of his goodness, his glory, would smoke you. If he turned it on completely. That's why he told Moses, there's a place here by me. It's in the cliff. I'm going to cover you. And when I pass by, I'm not going to give you a full dose of all you see is my backside. Because I don't want to smoke you. I want to love you. But that's that, I'm describing his intensity, his zeal for you. He really wants this to happen. So he played all of his cards that way. He, he wants us to approach him the same way. As he's approaching us, complete zeal, complete selling out for this process. So that's what God does. Look over to Psalm 51. Now, we see what he, what he's willing to do. What is my part? I have a part here. Psalm 51 is a psalm that David wrote after he got his busted. You know, he, <laughs> Had an affair with Bathsheba. She was married to another guy. Had him killed. Took care of business. And so, I mean, he's completely undone. Has really made a... He's given the, the, the masses a reason to blaspheme God's name. You know, he was God's chosen. And he did that so that everybody could see it. I mean, I'm sure that was embarrassing to God. You're being embarrassed by your kids? Anybody? Anybody ever been embarrassed by your kids? Oh, hallelujah. My kid did what now? <sighs> Again. Thank you for the news. Now, go somewhere <laughs> away from me. <sighs> so that's what David did. But he knew God. In fact, I bet you, let me just look here. Yeah. David wrote Psalm 103. So he knew God. The stuff we just read, how God is, David wrote that. So here it is. It's time for him to see if it's true. Because he has completely busted. Just like all the Jews did with Moses, they have messed it up. Beyond repair from a man. And so the prophet comes to him. And says, you did this. And so the only thing open for David is to Vegas people double down. Double down. And then you may think this is kind of insolent or something like that. No, I'm saying this is faith. This is pure faith. Not in me. But in him, in the power of his relationship with man, this is the sure mercies of David. They are sure. So it's, it's, it's an unbelievable thing that's going on here. Here's our part. David recognizes what God is. What is my part to react to a God like that? That I have a part. It should honestly reflect in some measure his part. Don't you think? Don't you think that's fair, at least? I do. So David's busted. And so 
he's willing to go right at God. And here we go, verse 1. Have mercy. And so he's starting to call upon all those attributes that we've just read about. And bring them before God. When I say doubling down, here's the other side about doubling down. You may actually win a lot, but if your heart ain't right in doubling down, you're fixing to get ripped times two. You better be right in your heart. Amen. Because if you don't, then you're you're doing what the psalmist in Psalm 19 says, Lord, deliver me from the presumption sin. Do not presume. Go in humble. Humble and bold. It's kind of a funny little deal. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. That's that loyal love. According to the multitude of your tender mercies. That's that womb. Rakam. Blot out my transgressions. Now he's asking for what God said he would do. He is literally asking that God do it. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my what? My iniquity. And cleanse me from my sin. He has all three levels. Addresses every one of them. God, you can do this. I can't. But you can. And here's my part. The second part. I'm asking him for it. Here's the second part. I acknowledge what I've done. Yes, it's true. See, one of the attributes of transgressions is that you try to hide and walk in deceit. No, 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 no. You stand up like a man and just face it. Amen? So let me take a quick moment and insult an entire culture. If you're teaching your kids to run away from accidents, then you are not walking with God. You're walking in transgression. Amen. So there you go. You think that's from God? Seriously. Stand up like a man, face the music, and let God be God. There you go. Did I hack all of you off? You should listen to what I'm saying. That's BS. And I didn't say bovine scatology. I really stopped. That spiritual junk. How can that exist in a Christian culture? It cannot. It should not. It's not from God. Hallelujah. I'll hear from that one. I acknowledge my transgressions. My sin is always before me. I'm not hiding this. Against you and you alone have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. That you may be found just when you speak, blameless when you judge. And then he makes the point. This is a heck of a point. Behold, I was brought forth, born in iniquity. The seed was in me. In sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. And in the inner part, hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. I mean, he's exercising his faith that God can, and if he does, it will actually work. Purge me, I will be clean. Wash me, I will be whiter than snow. And then he begins to focus on the relationship. Because God does all these things because he wants a good relationship with his people. And so David is now turning and reflecting the same thing toward God. I want to talk about our relationship. Verse 8. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones that you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of salvation. Uphold me by your generous spirit. <laughs> All has to do with getting my heart back in relationship with him again. And then the promise. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. And sinners shall be converted to you. Because I can speak to them from a, a position of me too. I was there too. I get it. I really understand where you're at. But there is a way out. Now, after, the, after uh, David prayed all this stuff, God did everything he said. Forgave him completely. Put him back on the throne. Brought Bathsheba to him. All kinds of stuff happened. 
He wrote Psalm 32 later, later after this, and I'm not going to go there, but you can go there. And the one thing I would take out of Psalm 32, he says, you know, blesses the man whose transgression is hidden. I mean, he, all the things that he asked for, God said, yeah, well, this is Psalm 32, go there. This won't take about a second. This becomes the centerpiece of the New Testament. This, these verses right here. He birthed the New Testament covenant because of what he did. God, it's crazy. Verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Blessed is that man and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So don't go to deceit. One of the markers of the end time church, those who are going to be called the bride, is like the 144,000. They would follow him wherever he leads them. And in their mouth was found no deceit. So you've got to be able to walk this way. Amen. No deceit. Just straight up, man. Just tell me the truth and then let God be God. He's got an answer for it all. Well, what are we going to do in our day, honestly, when we have an entire nation, especially a generation, but it's affected the entire nation, that, get this, does not fear God. So the trigger of all these things was the fear of the Lord. Isn't that the beginning of wisdom, by the way? Also the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord. What do we do given the reality of what we have? If I could say that one thing describes the way it is right now, there is no fear. People do anything and everything to get what they want. Even our leaders, the senators and stuff, they get on TV and lie. Flat out lie. To get their way. And it's across the board. I mean, when, when Trump talks about the deep state, it's real, folks. These people will do anything for their power. Anything. As if there is no God. They act that way. And so, what do you do? Well, if that's the situation, I mean, you... If it stays that way, what we're going to find is ourselves in the book of Revelation. Those guys who run to the mountains, trying to hide from the presence of the Lord. They're not to repent, just to get away from Him. That's the truth. There's two groups that are being formed. The fear is coming down. If you don't choose it as a thing that you need, you're going to run from Him. And you're going to be a part of the group that's going to face the Antichrist and the Mark of the Beast. Good luck! And there's another group. And, you know, according to that guy we saw last week, that Bob Jones dude, 90, he went to heaven. And he saw all these people going to heaven and, and, and hell. 98% of them were going to hell. 98%. That's scary. But Jesus said, many are called. Few. Or chosen. So, you know, here we are down in dirty time. You can either choose the fear of the Lord or you can blow it off and run your own way. Good luck. Good luck. So, does that mean that God is just up there wringing his hands and says, Oh, I don't know what to do. What must I do? He gives a picture of what he will do. Micah 7. Micah 7. I want to put this. I want to set this thing in the, in the time frame in which it's ultimately going to be fulfilled. This is a prophecy, Micah seven. And if you have a Bible like mine, you can read some of these footnotes. It, it basically says this is in the end time. The day of the Lord is that term. It's when He does all the things we're talking about: shake the earth and the heavens. In that time, now Jesus Himself spoke about it in Matthew ten, and He's He. When he was describing the way it will be, in the end, he quoted a verse out of Micah 7 that we're about to read. So just to put it in context for you, Jesus himself said, this is the way it's going to look. When I'm coming back, look for this. Verse 5. 
Seven five. Do not trust in a friend. Do not put your confidence in a companion. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your bosom. What's that supposed to mean? So like husband and wife. Do you remember when he said, Jesus said, when I come back, it'll be like the days of Noah, days of Lot. Two will be in the bed. One will be taken and the other left. Now, he's based, and then he goes on talking about the sheep and goats. So one of them is in the right place with God, and the other one isn't. Now, I want to just go risk being wrong here and suggest to you that we're not talking about two homosexuals in the same bed. I don't think so. I think it's a man and a woman married because one of them is right with God. Amen? And one of them isn't. Don't watch what you say from the one who lies at your bosom in that day. Did you understand that? Was that clear as mud? Rookler? Did you like that? You want to vote? I don't like that. It doesn't have to be that way, but folks, it can be that way. That's my point. It can be. And you know what? I bet you we all know someone who it will be that way for. And so Jesus was also very clear. You can't love anybody more than me and be worthy of me. God is a jealous God. Well, hallelujah. Thanks for all the good news, Larry. It's cheap. I'll just throw them out there. I'll be here all day, you know. All right, so there, that's a warning. That's a hard, hard truth to swallow. It really is. But it is there. And it gets better, in my view. Of course, I'm kind of a perverted person. Verse 6. For son dishonors father. Daughter rises against her mother. Daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own household. Wow. In the last day. So what I'm saying here is that for some of these people, and when this rises up like one against the other, it is implying at least that one of them is wrong. Daughter against mother. At least one of them is wrong. Maybe both of them. But at least one of them is wrong. So iniquity, transgression, and sin is ruling their life, and that is going to get shaken. I mean, would you feel shaken if when Jesus comes back, your whole freaking family is blowing up all over the that dumb place? Some of them say, I don't need God. You raised them to walk with God, and they're telling you that. How does that make you feel? You're going to walk with them? Or are you going to say, I'm sorry, but I can't walk with you here? What are you going to do? Jesus said it this way, same Matthew 10. You think I've come to bring peace? Really? No. I came to bring a sword. And then he quotes this scripture. It's going to divide. And it's hard. So there's the setting. That was a lot of good stuff, huh? So in that season, drop down to verse 14. Here's the cry to God. Shepherd your people. With your staff, the flock of your heritage, who dwell in a solitary, dwell solitarily in a woodland in the midst of Carmel, let them feed in Bashan and Gilead, as in the days of old, as in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt. God is speaking this, like it was when you came out of Egypt. I want you to think about this. I will show them wonders, miraculous displays of the power of God. All right. In the time of the shaking, when he shakes heaven and earth, and it's all jacked up, God's response is, I'm going to show you who I am. 
in my power and external displays of who I am, like I did in Egypt. Keep going. The nations, and when it says the nations, it implies those who don't know God. The nations, all the people who don't know God, shall see this and be ashamed of all their might. What does that say to me? The things that they trusted in, that thought they thought that kept them being okay. In other words, Google. Technology. The ability to just travel. To choose your own way. All your might. Your money. The book of Revelation says they'll throw it in the streets trying to get away from the presence of the one that sits on the throne. It'll do them no good at all. They'll be ashamed of all their might. So he's going to show them to be mere men. And you ain't God. The things that you got are nothing before him. So the nation shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall put their hand over their mouth. Their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent. They shall crawl from their holes like snakes of the earth. And look at the last part of verse 17. They shall be afraid of the Lord our God and shall fear because of you. So what I'm saying is this. What must we do at a time and in a place where there is no fear of the Lord? We wait upon the Lord. We wait upon the Lord. And when he comes, the results of what he's going to do will bring fear. It, the spirit of the fear of the Lord will come. And then people, of course, will have a choice. Some of them will choose the right way. Some of them won't. And for those who will, look what he does. He basically gives them a picture of the things that we've talked about up until now. How good he is towards your sin. Let's read it. Verse 18. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity. Passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He does not retain his anger forever. Because he delights in mercy. He will again have compassion on us. And I love this part. And he will subdue our iniquities. He will take our iniquities and cause it to be under our feet. The kibosh. That's the Hebrew word. You ever heard that word? You're going to put the kibosh on it? He's going to put the kibosh on the iniquity. It will not have power. And you will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. You will have truth to Jacob and mercy to Abraham, which you swore to our fathers from days of old. That's what he's going to do. That's coming. Now, I want you to go back to verse 14 for a second. In that day, there is a prayer. And the prayer is, God, shepherd your people with your staff. Pastor us like the great shepherd that Jesus is. Be that now, because we need that now. You see this in Joel. Turn over there. Joel. Joel 2. Now, you remember that guy we uh, showed last week, if you were here. If you didn't, it's Bob Jones, Divine Encounters. It's about 15 minutes long. It's on YouTube. You ought to watch it. I showed you five minutes, and it's 15 minutes. There's a lot of stuff in there. He said that in the year 2020, 15 months from now, actually 12 months from now if you go by the Hebrew calendar, in the year 2020, God will initiate the last great harvest. A billion people, mainly youth, will be saved. That's coming soon. I'm telling you, it accompanies the great shaking. All right? So look what happens in Joel. Micah put the prayer in there. God shepherd us. Shepherd us now. 225. 28, I'm sorry. 228. It shall come to pass that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Here comes the Lord. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old man shall dream dreams. Your young man shall see visions. 
on my men's service and on my maid service, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And look what happens here. And I will show wonders. Those amazing displays of the power of God. I will show wonders where? Heaven and in earth. He's shaking them both. I'm going to show wonders in heaven and in earth. Blood, fire, pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness. The moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. We just read that somewhere else. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. There's your great harvest. And then he, chapter 3, he moves into the, those who are in the great harvest. All the nations. Look down in verse, four, verse 12. Let the nations be wakened. And come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle. For the harvest is ripe. Come, go down. For the wine press is full. The vats overflow. For their wickedness is great. Verse 14 I think really describes where people are going to be when he begins to do all this stuff. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near. In the valley of decision, the sun and the moon will grow dark. The stars will diminish their brightness. So people have to decide. Now look what God does. And to me, this is a direct connection to what we read in Micah. Father, please shepherd your people in a time like this. Look at verse 16. The Lord will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth will shake. What's going to shake it? God's, God's voice. Uh, that would be scary. The herald, it shakes everything. But look at the second part of verse 16. But the Lord will be a shelter or a refuge. That's Psalms 91. The Lord is my refuge. The Lord will be a shelter for his people and the strength of the children of Israel. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So see, I just see, I keep seeing this time and again. I don't know how he's going to do it, but he keeps speaking to it that when he does this, somehow those of us here, if you walk the way he wants you to walk, you're going to be fine. You will be in his refuge. You'll be there. All these banners. You'll be safe. But you'll be seeing what's going on around you. A thousand will fall by your side. Ten thousand by your right hand, but it won't come near you. Figure that one out. So, it's just like, you know how Jesus walked when he was on earth? Until it was time for him to go to the cross, they couldn't touch him. And they wanted to kill him. It talked about one time how he walked through the crowd. And they couldn't touch him. And they were looking to go get him. Like that. Like that. We can be here and yet untouchable in some way or another. I don't know how he's going to do it. Maybe it's because the glory of the Lord will be upon us. Because that's what Isaiah said. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. So that's how he's going to shepherd us in that time. It's coming. And so multitudes are in the valley of decision. Which way will you go? We talked in Sunday school about this next generation. You guys need to start speaking to your own people of your generation. Get your priorities right. It's time to get your priorities right. All things are not equal. There is one thing that is necessary. One thing. Mary chose the one thing. Her sister didn't. Her sister got busy doing stuff. Mary chose to be with the Lord. So, there you have it. Let's go watch the Cowboys. The idols of Israel. Or not. Let's all stand. Father, I pray for people, because I know they're they're struggling with this. Um, I get it. But you're shaking us. 
You really are. You're shaking us. And there are a lot of things that, you know, we really don't want you to go there. Sorry. I know you will. I know you will. So, you know, God, I'm not, I'm not putting them down. I'm one of them. Me too. So I pray for them. Let's pray for them. Let your mercy and your grace and all these things we read about today, let them be multiplied in Jesus' name. Speak very clearly to us in a way that we individually can hear you. Like I said, you speak to Larry and Larry speak. I, I hear you. I know what is you. Speak to every one of them in a, in a way that they'll know. That's my God. And do what is necessary here to get us in the right place with you and get our priorities right. And walk with you. And I pray, Father, yeah, in Jesus' name, I, I, I ask you to do this as a part of the, what I'm praying. And you're shaking, shake from them this ridiculous doctrine that this is a bad thing. That God is against them. That walking with God is, is a drudge. That, oh, do I have to? Take those thoughts captive for them, God, and reveal where they came from. They did not come from you. That's a complete lie. And we have bought it. So I pray that you will divide that in the name of Jesus and set them free from it. And we give you the praise. Amen. There you go. Tonight, six. Thank you.